Hi, everybody. This is Dave Busing from Comic Book Herald, founder and editor-in-chief. You are listening to Cree Annotators, the series where I interview various favorite creators of mine in the comics sphere. Today, I'm excited to talk to Kelly Thompson, fantastic writer on series like Marvel's Black Widow, Captain Marvel, Deadpool, and a whole host of others through the years. Kelly, thanks so much for joining. Uh, How are you doing today? I'm all right. Uh, We talked a little bit before we started. It's been strange political times. So like most people, I'm trying to wade my way through that while still writing some silly comic books. Otherwise, I'm all right. How about you? I am doing all right. Yeah, it's definitely been a, a recurring theme the last several weeks, really the last several years. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> it's I, almost like you can count the amount of years. Yeah. <laughs> I bet for sure this last year has been um, for, for podcasting. I know everyone I went on, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no, it's simultaneously, of- right. It's been this interesting thing where it's like, People are available, so I've been able to talk to more, you know, <laughs> creators, which is awesome. Um, but then at the same time, it's because there's a pandemic, and that's that's terrible. Uh, but yes, we we're here today to talk about your Marvel work, which is some of my favorite stuff going on right now. Uh, Black Widows is the newest series that you've launched as well that we want to dig into a little bit. So four issues are out right now on Black Widow. We got the fifth, fifth issue scheduled for release in I think mid February. Um, but before we really dig into that, like you're overseeing a lot of the Marvel comic space right now. How do you kind of keep it all straight? I mean, obviously, too, just with the pressures and the just the world being what it is and your own focus, like, do you carve out time like, hey, this is Deadpool time? Or is it just sort of play it by feel day to day? Like, what's your process for managing all that? Um, I think, unfortunately, and this has been sort of doubly true in the pandemic where during the pandemic year where, you know, 2020 was one of my busiest years as far as like how much I had on my plate and definitely my least effective year. I started out really strong in January and February because I had to carve out time to do a a screenplay that was due. And so I knew I was gonna need some time in March to do that. And so I started really strong and then March hit and like things were falling apart in the world and things were falling apart in my life. And, you know, it just, it was a really really hard atypical year. but even before it got really bad, I think, unfortunately, um, except for maybe my very early days uh, as, a, as a creator when I was always on time, I sort of just go by what is on fire. Like, you <laughs> yeah. know, my editor, Jake, is going to kill me if I don't turn in Deadpool, you know, on Thursday. So that's the priority kind of thing. Uh, I wish I was more organized and it was less about that because there are definitely, you know, um, Deadpool requires a very different state of mind than writing an emotional Black Widow arc, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, you'd love it if you could be like, like I have a couple, I have a couple pages of Deadpool do right now, and my big thing to Jake is, dude, I'm not funny right now. Like, you don't want these pages <laughs> if I do them right now. They're not going to be funny. They're going to be dark, and they're going to be. And not in a good way. And, uh, you know, the dark so, comedy of Deadpool without the comedy. Yeah, yeah. without the comedy. It's <laughs> just going to be dark, man. <laughs> and, and the story that the little thing I'm doing for him is not, uh, it really shouldn't be dark at all, actually. I mean, maybe a little bit because Deadpool's always got that. But um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's a little tricky. Uh, the only thing I sort of use as a crutch uh, is I will definitely, I have playlists for all my thing, all my things. So I'll mm. sometimes use that as a sort of either a palate cleanser from something else or just to get in the mood. Um, you know, I'd use it as a sort of Pavlovian thing. 
That's interesting. So you have like like a sonic space to get into. That yeah. 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 I first encountered how helpful it was to me uh, back in like 2014 when I was writing a, a novel called Story Killer. Yeah. And um, I created a playlist for that. But I was still living in New York City at the time. And so sometimes I would hear that playlist when I was walking. It would come up on my iPod or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, it made me want to sit down and work on the book. And I was like, oh, wow, I've really trained myself to feel like these songs and this mood has put me in a state where I want to do that. And so that's when I started trying to do it for other, uh, for other, you know, for Black Widow has one, Captain Marvel has one, Sabrina has one. It works better sometimes than others. But it's it's definitely one of the tricks I've got to sort of try to shift focus. That's cool. And do you do you try to align like like thematically or tonally? Like is Black Widow's mysterious and it's full of intrigue, you know? And then Captain Marvel's more cosmic. Like, do you kind of is it like is the playlist actually like your feel like how the book makes yes. you feel? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I try as best as I can. I mean, it's not it's not um without. Uh, without flaws of course but it's um you know there's a we're we're gonna dig in and we're gonna criticize (laughs) (laughs) you know so like black widow this first arc especially is like a you know a very emotional arc but it's also like a you know it's the the black widow mix at least for this first arc and i'll probably be changing it as a matter of fact i should be changing it now as i'm writing seven because the tone has changed a little bit but you know, there's sort of a weird mix. If you go into the mix, it's like some of it feels like cool sort of 80s spy. Oh, sorry. I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss. Um, and, and some of it feels like more like California dream and sort of stuff. I mean, she quotes, yeah. she sings some breakaway lyrics in one of the issues. Uh-huh. Um, and so you know, breakaways on there and things like that. So, you know, it's, it's sort of a mix, but it is, it actually is like breakaway would feel, I guess it still belongs on there, but some of the stuff that's on there doesn't feel like it belongs anymore now that we're, we've moved past the first arc. So uh, I should update it. Um, one of my best, um, uh, my West coast Avengers and my Hawkeye Kate Bishop stuff um that that one was really good. It had a very poppy sort of California summer vibe to it that helped. And also my Sabrina podcast has like, I don't know. It just like, sometimes I hear a song from it and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, that's right there. You know, like some Carly Ray Jepsen or something, you know, like that kind of thing. Perfect. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's kind of a cool way to like get in the characters heads too. Like, yes. uh, like, like with West coast Avengers, especially would be like, yeah. they would have playlists. Like what would yeah. they have on them? You know, that, that's it's just, fun. I find it. I mean, music is like such an emotional touchstone for all of us. I mean, that sounds like such a cliche. It's like, sort of like if someone's like, Oh yeah, I like music. And you're like, uh, who doesn't like everyone likes music. <laughs> like it's almost impossible not to respond to it. Um, as a human being, like it touches us in such a strange way. And so, yeah, I mean, if I wanted to get in the headspace of a character, I could read a bunch of comics or I could, you know, if they have got a cartoon, I could watch a cartoon or whatever, but I find the music is the quickest, most visceral way to sort of get in that headspace. So, yeah. 
Love it. Love it. Yeah. No, I even do that just reading comics, like try to align like, okay, I'm going to read a star. This is like, which I read last night. I'm like, oh, this is super cosmic. <laughs> I'm going to throw on some like Marvel, uh, some like Cosmos soundtrack stuff. Yeah, but, you know, got very, it's like, yeah, you're, no, I, I try to get half, You're halfway there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, that kind of segues nicely too. So like one of the things I really appreciate about your writing is it's very evident on Black Widow is like, you don't sit on the same mystery or tension for too long. You know, I'd like, I can picture the version of this first Black Widow story arc that would end with like the reveal of who the villains are behind this. Mm. And in this story, that's like issue two into issue three, right? Like it yeah. comes pretty quick. Yeah. And then there's this really exciting burst of momentum. Um, is this like a conscious effort on your part to to give that kind of single issue, like like each issue a rush and a hook? And then I guess too, like how do you mentally, are you like writing, there's like a balance between writing for the single issue and then like writing for the binge yeah. or I guess like even the collection. Like, is that something you're weighing as you're actually pacing your own story, like which audience you're kind of writing for? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, um, it's funny, I was just talking about this the other day. There's definitely a formula as far as I'm concerned, at least the way I write in, um, you know, a modern 20 page superhero comic, you need rising and falling action within the issue. You know, you need to move the plot and characters forward. You need X amount of action pages, depending on what your book is um, or what your character is. Like you can get away with less in a Jessica Jones. Um, in Black Widow, I think we did, I probably did about the same amount of action pages I do for another superhero comic in Black Widow, but we did them a little differently. Elena and I were really sort of playing with the form a little bit there. Um, so they maybe hit a little differently, a little more personally than like a big action scene. Um, yeah uh normally would in a superhero comic but so you know you're you're always looking for that you're looking for the best possible cliffhanger you can manage at the end of 20 pages that is going to get readers to come back for the next issue but that is going to read as smooth as you can manage in the long form and that's a i mean that's honestly the biggest trick about comics and i think some of them work better than others, no matter how much you try for that. But yeah, it's hard to serve. Oh, cat, sorry. It's hard to serve those two masters. Um, hey, I'm writing for this single issue so that it'll be the best reading experience possible. But I'm also writing for the trade so that this is a smooth experience to read all together. It's very tricky. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, there are a lot of things about comics that I find very easy that's a thing that's very hard. And sometimes you don't really know until you look, sit down and look at the trade, how, it, how well you did. Um, you usually know how well you did on issue to issue because you're doing lettering passes and proofing passes. You're seeing how it all comes together. You're doing it that way. But you know, Marvel, unless there's a problem, Marvel doesn't really call you to have you look at the trade again. So the only time you're going to see the trade is if you happen to pick it up on your own after it, after you've gotten your comp, you know? So, um, I'm less, I, I feel like I'm less in tune with if that's always successful than the single issues. But I have to say, usually when I've gone back and looked, I've been pretty happy with how it works. That's good. Yeah. No, it as is a, as a whole. Right, right. It's an interesting thing. I think as fans, like we often take for granted, like like a lot of readers are going to come to uh, Hawkeye, you know, late or like even like once the Disney Plus like machine yeah. hypes right around a new Hawkeye, yeah. tons and tons of people are going to come to your Cape Bishop and they're going to read all 16 issues like in a night, Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's that's an interesting different experience, certainly yeah. from, from those who were like really on the ball and on top of it when it was coming out in shops. Yeah. Um, 
in the case of Hawkeye, I don't think you'll have any problems. <laughs> I, think <that> will, <laughs> I think that will hold up just fine. Yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> um, now, as you've been writing Black Widow, initially this series like would have coincided fairly closely with the movie, right? Like in the MCU. And yeah. obviously the pandemic has pushed that release date into no man's land, right? Like we don't yeah. know exactly what's going to happen there. Nobody does as, as of yet. Is there anything you're purposely doing like in the story? that connects to that anticipated presence and kind of the rush of interest that the MCU will drive? Like even like character presences like Yelena or Red Guardian, is there stuff that you're like MCU conscience or is it more just like, I'm going to tell my story and that publicity is going to be great, but I'm doing, you know, kind of my thing. Um, Because it was such a similar situation to Captain Marvel, you know, I got Captain Marvel, our book started like, two two and a half months before the movie released and we really benefited from that bounce of not the movie because the movie wasn't even quite out yet when we sold our first issue which did record numbers for captain marvel it yeah. was it was just the interest level was up in the character right um and yeah we tried to do that they tried to do that again for black widow and it obviously did not work because of covid um, I'm glad we started releasing it anyway, because it's one of my favorite things I've done for Marvel. And I hope that the way it's going to bounce out now is that our first trade will be out if it does come out in May, as they're now speculating, which I think is still a question mark. Um, not yeah. because anything and not because anyone's told me anything, but just because, you know, I keep seeing it bounce around. Um, if it comes out in May, that'll actually be pretty good for us because we'll have our trade out. And so fans can go looking for that trade and then our new arc will be have just started or be starting up. And so it could really benefit us. Um, it's, but we don't do that much coordination. I mean, I think there's a, the Marvel film stuff, probably even more than the TV stuff, but they they don't really communicate with us and tell us what they're doing. I mean, uh, you know, and I, I think that's good. I think, um, as much as we can, we should try to be ahead of them. You know, we should try to be creating the material that they want to draw from, not coordinating with them to make sure it all lines up. So when I look at doing a Black Widow book, for me, it was just there's the potential that this could hit big because of the movie. I just want to do the best possible Black Widow book I can do that might really get people excited and that might, you know, even if we get a bounce from either your atypical comic readers or people that maybe wouldn't typically read Black Widow, I want to really show them something different that they can get excited about and that they'll come back for. And I, I think we've done that pretty well, you know, but this also touches on a thing you sort of, we sort of brushed against a, a minute ago, which is, you know, are you writing for the issue or are you writing for the trade? I mean, the plain fact of the matter is the reason I don't think you can tease out those reveals and do longer form storytelling is just because, everything gets canceled. So, mm -hmm. you know, if, if I want to tell the story I want to tell, and I think it has, is going to take 10 issues, you're maybe not going to get that. So you better be able to do it in five or you might have an unfinished story. I mean, that happened to me a little bit on West coast Avengers. I mean, you know, we wrapped it all up, but yeah. that was not how I wanted that to wrap up, but we got trimmed you know, from an ongoing to, we thought maybe we we're going to get 12 and then that became 10. And then not only did it become 10, but we kept getting artist changes on us and it just all sort of unravels, you know? Yeah. Um, it's not that it's a bad book, but you know, toward the end, you can tell that the sort of 
care and time and attention and the planning that was going into it for the first four to seven issues, it just really sort of falls apart. And, um, you know, everyone's still trying their best. And I don't, I don't think those issues are bad, but when I look at West coast Avengers, you know, you can see the difference in quality drop and it's just because, you know, you start to lose, you start to lose the things you started out with, like, Oh, we're going to have this artist and there's going to be a collaboration and we're planning X, Y, and Z out. And that just starts to unravel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Does, do you kind of write with like an escape hatch in mind? Like do you yes. kind of have an out when it happens? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think maybe I didn't before West coast Avengers, but I'm much more cognizant of it now. If like mm. you need to have a way out, yeah. um, you know, Hawkeye got canceled at one point. Um, I think they were only going to give us 10. And I was like, Oh my God, you guys, you promised me 12. There's right. no way, there's no way I can wrap it in 10. And then we negotiated and they were like, okay, we'll give you 11. And I was like, okay, maybe I can get it done. And then we got uncanceled and we ended up getting to whatever it is, 15 or 16 that we did 16. 16 yeah. oh, and, a- and that was great because I really wanted to do a Clinton Kate arc and we weren't going to, we weren't going to be able to do that. And then we got sort of uncanceled. And so it happened and that's internally, it wasn't announced that it was canceled, but that was just like, internal things but yeah i mean there's a point where you're scrambling to figure out how can i tie up everything i've set up with with less time and that that's hard um so yeah you the more experiences you have like that or like on west coast you know you start to really think about your arcs in very modular pieces like if i plug this piece in and honestly it's um you know i i think some of modern comics are some of the best it's ever been, but it is sad to have lost some of the trademarks that I loved of being a kid, even with nineties comics where a weird B plot would suddenly be introduced and you're like, who's this guy? You know, like you'd go to an aside or an interlude or a whatever. And mm-hmm. it was some whole other thing that they were setting up for down the line. And you, you almost cannot do that now because you're just wasting valuable page space on a thing that you're maybe never going to get to do. I mean, we got really lucky on Captain Marvel because we actually tease star. She's there in issue one Ripley Ryan, but you don't know who she is. And so she's there in this small way for those first five issues. And then you get the debut in the costume and you're like, Oh, this might be this character who's been here all along. And so that, because we didn't get canceled and we got to kept going, got to keep going. It, it gives it that feeling of, Oh yeah, we were laying all this groundwork and we were, we were laying it all along, but if we had been canceled at some point, we laid it in such a way that, you know, Ripley Ryan just never would have become star and that never would have been a plot. She would have just been a reporter, you know, but because we got more issues and we got to do it, we were able to, debut this character that people got really excited about and then they could look back and go oh look she was there all along and i think people really appreciated that but it's hard to get there these days because there are there are so so few you know batmans and immortal hulk is a great example of one that really surprised everyone is in its 40s now you know it's uh it's hard though it's modern comics are a, a tricky beast yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, yeah, and like Captain Marvel at this point, I mean, you're up to, I think, 25-ish that are out, which is like one of, you know, Marvel's longest running series. It, it definitely does feel like a thing that 
I think as fans, a lot of readers miss, you know, the runs that will go for longer. And there's a handful across Marvel. Um, but, you know, the fact that you're talking about some huge properties like Captain Marvel and, and Black Widow and still sort of needing to plan for that, you know, I think is yeah. kind of like a definite eye opener in terms of just yeah. where the market is. Like there's it's that obvious thing for like sales, marketing purposes, you kind of get it. But then as readers, it's and especially like as comics, yeah. fans, we have just this nostalgia for the way things were. It's like, yeah, yeah I, I loved knowing that like, yeah, Black Widow, that's not going to be canceled. Like, what are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it's kind of nice. Um, now, when you're starting a new book, uh, Black Widow in particular, like what is your research process for getting a feel for a character? Like, obviously, you're you're a fan yourself. Like, you know, the this world. Um, do you really dive back into the comics? Like, what do you, what do, you do to kind of get a feel for like their voice and what you want to write? Well, I mean, Black Widow is actually one of the easier ones because I've been a fan of Black Widow for a long time and I had already read all of her significant stuff i mean i'm yeah. sure there's like her appearing in some avengers story here or there or whatever but most of her big stuff i'd already read and so it was you know it was certainly less challenging than deadpool who even though i was a fan of deadpool he's been in everything he's had a billion books like right. i just uh, there's no way i've read them all you know and even with carol um you know i'm a big fan of the captain marvel character but as a as a reader not as big a fan as i was of black widow so still there was like more research there required where black widow i sort of just came to it fully formed um as far as what i thought her voice was and what i thought the character was and i'd had this idea i had actually pitched this idea a year or two before and they just weren't they just weren't ready for it. They had other things they wanted to do and try. And so there were a couple little mini series that they did along the way. And then it just so happened that that my Captain Marvel era uh, er, editor, Sarah, came to me and she was like, so what about Black Widow? I was like, don't tease me. I was like, is it finally <laughs> happening? And she's like, she's like, yeah. And I was like, well, I'll tell you right now, I'm not writing a goddamn red room story and she was like good <laughs> and i was like okay yeah. we're on the same page i was like i can't you know and it's not that i don't like those stories i they're great but there's got to be more to black widow than the red room you know we got to move on from that like there's been a ton if, of I, that, yeah. if i see her as a ballet dancer in the red room one more time i'm just gonna vomit all over my computer <laughs> screen like i you know yeah. um but but there's also this trick because you know even though i'm sick of red room stories and i think a lot of people are it's a huge part of who she is so you can't just move away from that and shed it like a skin it's part of her and it should be uh it will always be part of her it's the same thing with captain marvel i wanted to put her back on earth for a while you know but she's she's a cosmic hero she and she's a pilot and she always wants to go up that's intrinsic in her character and so you know you can't strip them of that you just have to find a way to to rework it within you know the story you're trying to tell um, I mean, I have a, one of the things I like about Black Widow is that, you know, I'm sort of known for doing sort of, I don't know, sassy female dialogue or whatever. And I don't, Black Widow isn't like that at all to me. You know, she's not, yeah. a, she's not a quippy, sassy character. I mean, she's very smart and she has a great sense of humor and she could burn you down in a second if she wants to, but like, she's very internal. She plays her cards close. She's not a chatterbox, you know, whatever. So, um, you know, I really wanted to make sure I was bringing that to the character and that, like, I don't want, as much as I love Kate Bishop, I don't want all my characters to feel like Kate Bishop in another costume. Like, I think that voice is really important. Mm -hmm. But 
it's also really hard because readers all have a dif different interpretation of what that is. What Black Widow is to me is not the same as what she is to someone else, maybe. Sure, sure. Well, so, and I, yeah, right. And if you write, you know, Natasha, where she's got the same level of quip as Kate Bishop, right? Yeah. Then it's now you got you got a totally different character. You know, you've got a weird, weirdly different story as opposed yeah. to kind of calm, cool. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you said, like she can have a very dry sense of humor. But yeah, that is an interesting balance to have to find. Uh, before we dig in a little more, like what are some of your favorite Black Widow stories? You know, you mentioned you're a longtime fan. Like what are the, some of your go-tos? Well, I mean, even though the Yelena stuff isn't always my favorite stuff, like all that Greg Rucka stuff is really great, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, really wonderful stuff. Uh, Marjorie Lou's uh, fairly recent Name of the Rose stuff is incredible. That's my um, favorite. Yeah, yeah it's wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, really like smart and subtle, beautiful art. It, it's super stylish too. Like that yeah. felt like what a Black Widow book should look like. And I feel like we did a pretty good job of that. I mean, we, we look very different than that book, but I feel like we brought, thanks to Elena and Jordy, we brought a similar style where the book really knows what it is. It's a stylish looking book. And that part of that is driven by it's Natasha and she's this way, you know, she just sort of intrinsically this way. Um, I would also say that uh, um, was I was talking about Name of the Rose. Oh, I don't know that I'd call it a Black Widow story necessarily, but Matthew Rosenberg's Tales of Suspense from a couple years ago. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a really big fan of that too. I knew that I wanted to like reference that, but like I had to do something different too. So um, when I brought uh, Winter Soldier and Hawkeye into this book. Um, you know, so we've got this joke early on where he's like, didn't we just do this? Like, go find <laughs> right. her, you know? So, like, we yeah. needed we needed to acknowledge it, it had just sort of happened. But I liked this idea that, like, this is a thing in their life. Because when you know this crazy, enigmatic, mysterious woman, Natasha, like, you know, sometimes you're going to spend your life chasing her, you know? Um, yeah, I appreciated that reference too because it's like, okay, didn't we just do this? And it's in my head, I'm like, yes, astonishing tales one through five, <laughs> by, uh, <laughs> or maybe it's tales of suspense or whatever it is, the throwback. Yeah, break there, but then it is like, okay, but then how do we, how do you make it a different story, right? Yeah. And you can find yeah. your way, your way to do that here. So like, just so you know, not I'm not going to spoil a lot here, um, but just kind of referencing like, so your your take on Natasha here and sort of giving her a non red room story is uh, basically you give her like an ideal life, right? Like, so we, we kind of encounter this Natasha where she's kidnapped early and then kind of, we cut away and all of a sudden she's like, Oh, she's got a family. She's got a kid and, uh, she's like happy. And then the story becomes like, okay, this seems kind of fake. How did this happen? Who set her up? Right. Um, why, why was it important for you to have like giving Natasha, like a break from being black widow kind of is her perfect, life like what what did you want to have to say and obviously there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of the run but like what are you trying to say about what you know what it means for black widow to have had that maybe and to have lost it i wanted to tell a story that was going to change her forever yeah and i think you know and I, we've gotten a ton of really amazing praise the reviews on this book are some of the best i've ever gotten a lot of people really seem to be enjoying it but sometimes when i see criticism of it it's that you know oh well she didn't choose this life i'm not here for another brainwashing story mm. and i i that's that's ultimately 
our failure, my, I'll take the blame, but probably our whole team, maybe we didn't have enough time to convince people, or maybe we just didn't do it effectively enough. But like, you know, whether she was brainwashed into this scenario or not, living for three months on your, of your own free will and raising a child that is yours and that you believe is yours and it is hers and being with someone, you know, like James, who's sort of picture perfect because we don't really have time to get into, you know, whatever, but it's a very idealized life. And I think people acting like, well, she was only in this for three months. Again, it's my failure because if I didn't, if we didn't make you feel what it would feel to have a child like that and then lose that, yeah. um, then I, I think it's a failure of the story. So I'm sorry it didn't connect for everyone. But for us going in, it was, this would change you forever. Like, especially the child element of it. Like, you know, and I don't know that Natasha's ever answered that question for herself. I don't think she's ever allowed herself to imagine the life she maybe couldn't have had. And I don't know that she would have wanted an ideal life as an architect living in California and having a child, but I think she would have liked the choice and she didn't have a choice here either. She was absolutely manipulated into it, but that doesn't keep it from being real for her, especially the stuff that wasn't implanted, which is between two and three months of living your life and raising a child every day. And I, I don't have children, so it's actually more relatable to think about it for me as a pet. Like, <laughs> like if my cats, I'm so attached to them. Like if I raised them for three months and then I had to leave them and someone took them away, it wouldn't be any less painful for me if I found out that the first year of that was a fiction, like it wouldn't matter to me. I'd still have bonded with them and connected with them in that real time. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if we'd had more time to play the story out more slowly. Maybe we would have done a better job of convincing people who weren't quite convinced, but I also think um, playing a, a quieter quote unquote story like this out over time also gets fans annoyed because they want their character back to doing a cool spy mission. And so they only have so much tolerance for it, even if they're enjoying it. So it's a, it's a tricky balance there. Um, that's exactly I, that balance we talked about in the beginning, you know, yeah, the story yeah. moves so fast yeah. that you're not spending as much time just with the sweeter kind of, Hey, she has a family and she has a kid. And what's that like, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And it's, I guess that's the, the trade off there. Yeah. And it's, it really is a trick because it's like the same fan that's saying, well, I don't know, she should get over this pretty easy. You know, she only knew this kid for a little while. It's, it's, it's the as, same. Someone, as someone with two small children no <laughs> yeah right <laughs> and 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 then that same person is like and she should really get back to being a, a superhero pretty soon and i'm like so i don't know that i ever could have served that person right because if i'd taken more time to draw it out and to maybe make them feel that bond that she has with that child um 
it maybe just would have irritated them for longer that she wasn't doing cool spy shit, you know? So yeah. uh, I, I don't, I, I think maybe somewhere in there is some of it's my own failure and my team's failure for, for not being able to capture that for some people. And some of it's just not every story is for everyone. And so, you know, maybe that was never going to speak to that particular person, you know, and we never could have won them. I don't know. Um, you know, there's a, I, I feel so attached and protective of my stories sometimes because I really fall in love with those characters that it's hard for me to completely let them go once they're out in the world. But as a writer, you really do have to try to draw a line in that sand and go, okay, I've done my job. I created the thing and it's now, it's now its own free thing that people are going to interpret the way they want they're going to absorb it the way they do like it's up to the reader now to how they embrace or reject that story and i've done all i can you know yeah yeah for sure I, no, it's, I, it's I, to me that you're that you're absorbing that criticism at all you know i know a lot of writers are a lot of creators will be like, yeah, I, I refuse to look at anything, which sounds impossible to me. Like just as even on my own limited, you know, running <laughs> scale, like I'm interested in what people have to say. And if there yeah. are 25 nice things and one mean thing, the mean thing stands out. I don't know why that's such a thing, but it really is. But no, I do. I probably look at it more than most of my writer friends. I think most people who say that um, with a few exceptions aren't, as religious as they pretend they are about not looking at that stuff. It's yeah. pretty hard to resist all of that stuff. I know some people are very adamant about it. Um, but I've actually really learned things from um, not bad criticism because bad criticism is, you know, ugh, I don't know, exhausting. Uh, and it just makes you want to shake your laptop or people. But good, <laughs> good criticism is incredibly helpful. Like, yeah. um, and there's also, you know, something I learned really early on when I was doing, so I was going to take on this Rogan Gambit book and part of me wanted to be like, okay, it's my chance. I can, through this idea, I can just like throw out all the continuity that I hate. Like mm. I, there's an opportunity here where I can do that. Like I can really redefine this and like the stuff that I hate, I could just sort of, you know, ignore it or whatever. And I was doing my research and I was doing all this other stuff. And I realized that if I hated, like, <laughs> even though I hate this story and I think it's so bad and it was bad for the characters and it was terribly written and blah, blah, blah. That's someone else's favorite fucking story. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it made me very cautious, I think, in a good way. Uh, sometimes it can get in your way and keep you from doing things that you should maybe do. But it made me a lot more cautious and deliberate about not throwing babies out with bathwaters. Just because I didn't like something doesn't mean it doesn't connect for someone else. And mm -hmm. so when I did Rogan Gambit, I was like, I'm just going to try to make a really great story that sort of leans on all this past history and doesn't say any of it is bad, but, or, or, or that it didn't happen so that yeah. everyone can feel like they have a seat at the table kind of thing. And honestly, it really worked. And I, I feel like that was a really good learning experience. And some of that was from like going into forums and stuff and seeing what people were talking about with these characters they loved and like why they liked this, that, or the other. And, you know, I would sometimes see something and be like that thing, are you crazy? And then they'd, they'd be <laughs> passionately arguing about like why it was great. And I was like, well, I do not agree, but okay, you really feel this way. So 
Yeah, I think that's a really empathetic. uh, That's a really empathetic way of of like taking in fan uh, approach to like Marvel and Marvel continuity. That's really interesting to me. Like I would have thought it would have been more based on. It's like, hey, other creators put themselves into this. I don't want to mess with them. No. But you know, but from the <laughs> right. I no, wish I wish I was that respectful. No, uh, <laughs> that's not it at all. I mean, I I felt that way sometimes, but it's hard to feel that way for things I don't like. You know, mm-hmm. like um, mm-hmm. it's easy to feel that way about something that I think is good, but there's not a problem there, right? I already think it's good, but yeah. for something that I really hate, no, I blame the creator. <laughs> <laughs> I blame the creator, but the fan, I, I blame less now because it's speaking to them somehow. Like, it, it, again, it's about drawing that line. And so, you know, every person is different. So they're taking the same story and it's different to everyone because they're bringing their own stuff to it. And I find that fascinating. I think it's important. Um, and it's really interesting. Um, I think, I think the, and I'm, I'm nowhere near this, but the thing I would say that I would aspire to is not to not look at that stuff because, and it's also been helpful. Can I just say in like, literally I was reading on a forum one time and I think it was something Captain Marvel related. Mm -hmm. Someone brought a thing up and I had never heard that before. I had never read that before. And I went looking for it and I was like, sure enough, that's a that's a thing. Like I got to look into that now because that's a problem for me. Like literally for a plotting point, it was an issue. And that fan was right. They weren't even talking about anything I was writing. They were talking about something else that I just wasn't aware of. So I don't know. I I, I think it's worth it to sort of keep an open mind, Um, especially when you're talking about, you know, comic fans, we're super nerds. Like we've got yeah. these encyclopedic knowledge of all these obscure things. And I can't possibly have all of that, but you can source all these different people who have it and you can learn so much. Um, but so the thing I was going to say is that my aspiration wouldn't be to um, not look at that stuff because I find it helpful. It would be more to be, I think it was a Tom King quote, and I'm sure he wasn't saying he was perfect at this, but he was basically saying, I try not to comment on the story after it's out, like whether that be answer questions or whatever, because that's the story. Like I've already put it, I've given you all the information I have, and now it's up to the reader. Um, I hope I'm not misattributing him there, but I'm pretty sure it was him. Um, And I thought, and I, and I thought that's, I thought that's what's good. If you can, if you can write the best possible thing you can write and you do that, however you do it, sourcing from whatever locations you do. And then once it's done and published to step back from it and say, here's this thing I made. Now it's for you to do with what you will. And I'm not going to answer 50 questions about it or whatever. Right. Um, because that's what it is. It is a thing. And what we put into it and what we get out of it is up to each of us individually. Cool. No, I hear that. Yeah, no, that's good. And I think that's like an extremely healthy approach to criticism, which again, like good criticism, that is absolutely the goal. And the, and the intent is like to do deconstruct this work and then to like, yeah, like it is available. It's not like, like necessarily like, Hey, here's this advice for a creator, but I think like your approach to, okay, I'm going to going to look, I'm going to engage with these fan accounts in the sort of honest capacity that they are, they are intended, you know, and I, I was being facetious earlier when I said like the one mean comment, which obviously that exists, <laughs> but it's like good criticism is not, you know, quote unquote mean, right. That yeah. Is not intention. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's just, it's, built it up. it's just 
critical maybe, right? Like that's yeah. the difference. It's, um, I mean, listen, the best, the best teacher I had of any, and I went to SCAD to learn how to make comics, but the best teacher I had in anything of trying to make comics was writing comic book reviews because sure. it was, it was, it was a, you know, it was a high school book report on everything you ever read. It was like breakdown was it good or not? And why was it good or not? And explain to the people so that they can make their own choice about whether to try this or not. And um, it was a really great sort of school for figuring that out in my own work, you know? Yeah. Do you still kind of engage with like other stories? Like if you have the time, which sounds like right now you probably don't, <laughs> but when you actually get to sit and read comics or read story, like, do you, do you engage with it? in the is like your brain just always going like what makes this tick what makes this work or do you actually like do you turn that off and you get to just kind of enjoy it i think mostly it's turned on i think there are examples of things that i get so caught up in um that that i am able to turn that off a little bit but it's pretty rare i mean it's even true of tv and movies at this point yeah. i mean i've sort of this sounds like a humble brag and there's no way not to make it sound like a humble brag so maybe that means it just is but you know, a lot, it's, it's pretty hard for me to go to the movies and be surprised these days. And again, it's not because I'm super cool. It's because I spend all day, every day, figuring out how to make stories work, breaking yeah. plot lines, and putting them back together. And so when I go see Knives Out, like, it's sort of like having an annoying superpower where you can like, <laughs> see where you can like see the schematics of like how yeah. to put it together. And which pieces have to move where and it doesn't mean you're never surprised and but it does mean that when something surprises you it's really really exciting um and really fun because you're like i did not see that come like i didn't figure that out i wasn't ahead of this guy you know when when he was doing this thing and yeah like i take a lot of i feel again, it, it is a brag because it makes me feel good about myself to know that I can do that. But it does cast a sort of shadow over a lot of the stuff I ingest. Um, I think a good comic example, um, the first book I read this year, which my boyfriend bought me last year, and I just hadn't gotten to it all year, but I wanted to start 2021 right. And mm -hmm. so I sat down with um, Maggie Garrison. Do you know that book? I don't know. So it's... um. What's the guy's name, babe? Trondheim. Trondheim. It's Trondheim. Wrote it. Wrote it. Not not drawing it. And you know, it's European comics, and it's a, yeah. it's basically like a, like a normal, slightly overweight woman, Maggie Garrison, who's sort of down on her luck, lost her job, all these things. Things aren't going great, and she ends up getting a job as a part-time assistant for a, a PI. And so I love PI stuff and detective stuff. So I'm like, Ooh, I'm instantly interested, but then it sort of goes awry and she immediately gets fired. And then like all the, and so it sort of happens within the graphic novel. It's like three sort of chapters and I was enjoying it from page one. It was just completely an enjoyable read. Yeah. And then at some point I've realized how it was going to tie together. And I wasn't, I mean, maybe it would have been slightly more enjoyable if I hadn't gotten there first, but I was so pleased with how clever it was and how organic it was, the storytelling was, and how sort of wonderfully it was all going to come together that I was just so happy that I, I didn't sort of care that I was like, oh, that's how it's going to go. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it doesn't uh, ruin it for you. It didn't, it didn't ruin it for me. So I wasn't able to fully turn it off, but it, especially when it's good, you sort of don't care, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good that you can still, uh, still (laughs) it's not the same thing, but my wife has like, you know, like a mutant ability to just always know like who the murderer is, you know, like it's, it drives me nuts because I never know. Um, Like, oh yeah, I got that like five minutes in. (laughs) Like, all right, don't tell me, just don't tell me, but she can still enjoy it. Yeah. It's the same thing. Have you ever, have you ever tested her? Like made her write it in an envelope and seal it? Oh no, all the time. All the time. (laughs) Initially, I was like, no way. I was like, no way do you actually know that. And then, so I, yeah, literally on note cards, I'm like, write it down. <laughs> Don't tell me. That's, that's hilarious. And yeah. she doesn't She doesn't write for a living. She doesn't no, write. no, she's like an accountant. <laughs> she's, not she a, just, she's not a private detective or something. She no. seems like maybe she missed her, uh, missed her uh, calling there. She'd be a good one. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, all right. So, yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, Black Widow, highly recommended to read from me. Uh, Captain Marvel, the same thing. Uh, one thing, but before we get to uh, kind of wrapping and, and getting some of your thoughts toward just kind of where things are going, um, one thing I really like about what you do with Marvel is like you you really seamlessly integrate characters from all over the place. Um, like in Deadpool, we're seeing it right now with like Elsa Bloodstone, um, which is super fun, and like Hazmat even in Captain Marvel. There's tons of examples. Um, like the the future, you're you're doing an apocalypse, future dystopia kind of a storyline in Captain Marvel, and you bring in like Emma Frost and fun yeah. characters like that, right? In Star, you take on Scarlet Witch. And I'm curious, today is the, on Disney Plus, WandaVision is dropping. It's a huge, like, the, kind of the first big MCU thing. In a while, you got to write um, Scarlet Witch in, in Star, which I was not expecting. So, like, I actually read this last night, and I was like, oh, this is, like, really relevant. Um, and also really good. Like, one of the more cosmic things you've done. Thank uh, you. In a really fun way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you think, like, the right direction is for Wanda? Like, what, what was your kind of your goal in taking on that character? Because I thought you did a really nice job. Thank you. Um, I think Wanda is one of those characters that is really interesting and sort of deserves better treatment. Um, You know, she's been sort of famously the bad guy or famously mishandled a few times in like very big ways. Um, And I think she's, you know, I think she's incredibly tricky because her power set is like, Hey, she can do anything probably like, we don't know. You know, it's like, it's so, it's so nebulous that, um, as a writer, I mean, some writers probably look at that and they're like, yes, the sky's the limit for me. I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. Those are too many options. Like I, (laughs) I'm a bit, I'm a big fan of, I've said this on, (laughs) said this many times. I'm a big fan of the meat dress problem. So, uh, if you're familiar at all with project runway, um, which is fashion. Um, sometimes they would give you challenges that were insane, like make a dress out of meat. <laughs> okay. I think there's a Lady Gaga version of that. Yeah, right? there is for <laughs> sure. And so these people would be like, are you kidding me? You know, they'd be in shock for a while and then they would buckle down and they would solve the problem. And sometimes what you would get of it was incredible. And then for another challenge, they'd be like free for all as much money as you want, whatever you want to do, go for it. And you would get the most atrocious entries. And it was like, sometimes limitations are good. And as a writer, it's one of the reasons I'm drawn to more sort of street level PI type characters with more sort of relatable problems. I mean, like the fact that Carol can change the molecules on her body to be wearing a superhero costume. 
it's so unrelatable for me sometimes <laughs> that I just have to not even think about it because how does a person with that much power, that much godlike power, like how is she relatable to regular human beings? And so I work really hard to try to make that true and make that relatable and let her be that kind of powerful, but also have these limitations. But so, um, so yeah, I, it, Scarlet Witch is very much in that realm where her powers are so big and possible that she's scary to me. Yeah. Um, but so my approach to her was as a foil for star star dealing with similar, similar powers that she's not in control of. And Wanda really just there as someone who's made horrible mistakes that she can never escape for herself personally. Like forget if anyone else wants to, you know, the mutant community hates her or whatever, forget that. Just what she has to live with every day as a person to what she's done to other people. Mm -hmm. And her true desire to want to save someone else from that path. And like, that made so much sense for me when we were figuring out what the star story should be, because the star thing came out of nowhere. She was like such a popular character. Marvel's like, Hey, we want you to do this mini series. Do you want to do it? And I was like, I was really over, over spread thin at that point. Mm. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I was like, but I have no ideas. And so I had to sit down with it and be like, all right, well, what's, you know, we got to talk about some of Riley's trauma and like how some of Ripley's trauma and how she got here and all of this stuff. I was like, but who, you know, who's been there? And it was, it was Scarlet Witch. It was like, she wants to prevent Star from becoming worse than Scarlet Witch herself. And I just really loved that touchstone for them. And writing Wanda was really great. And uh, some people said it was the first time Captain Marvel and Wanda have been on the page together in years and years and years. And I just thought, is that true? Like, it, it's a shame. I know Wanda, I know uh, Scarlet Witch had that great series that was sort of unconventional, you know, very separate off on its own with those incredible uh, David Aja covers. Yeah. Um, you know, but I guess she wasn't tying in to that. I mean, when I read them, she wasn't tying in all the time to a lot of other heroes like the Avengers and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to bring her in and let her be the the wise and learn from my mistakes. And it doesn't really work because it's hard for us to get other people who've been there. You know, we, we can only see our own experiences a lot of times. Yeah. And it's hard to step outside that self. Yeah, no. And, and she really is like kind of the perfect would be mentor uh, yeah. in that story and with that character. It, it ties in really seamlessly. Um, I, yeah, I, I am pretty, like, I am pretty excited about the show. I don't know when I'll be able to watch it, but it is pretty exciting to see such a, a strange. Yes. Right. It feels yeah. like, it, it, you know, one of the great successes of the MCU to this point has been that it all feels like this incredible interconnected universe. Mm -hmm. Right. And we love that about it. It all feels like one big movie in a way. And it's part of the reason why you cry in um, not in game, but the one that comes before in game, because it's you're so, yeah. you know, it's not, you're just not two hours invested in this character. You know, if you're, if you're a Tony Stark fan, you're invested to the tune of, you know, 12 hours or whatever it is of screen time that he's had in these movies over yeah. these years. 
And so we love that about it. But what that sort of files off are some of the more interesting, weird genre stories, you know, like I want an X factor investigative team, a story, you know, I want this Wanda envision thing. I want the buddy cop winter soldier and Falcon. Like, so I'm excited to see what these are going to be and, and how bendable the Marvel universe is in that new way. You know, how, how does a she Hulk, I assume comedy lawyer, superhero show, how does that fit next to this? And can it all fit together? Uh, It's fascinating to me. I mean, a lot of people, you know, when we saw young Monica Rambeau in Captain Marvel, people were like, Oh my God, she's a kid. It's so exciting. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, and they were like, Oh, I wonder what it's going to be. And in my head, I was like, it should be next wave. I was like the next time we see her and I know she's in WandaVision and I'm excited to see what they ended up doing. But like from my brain, I was like, the next thing should be, she should be walking out of a portal or something fully grown, like a complete badass with Elsa Bloodstone and a couple other people. And it would be like returning home after what, who knows what adventure they went on. Like, and that's next wave, you know, like, like I just, it's so exciting. All the things you can do there. And I, you know, I don't know, we're going to, it's a great experiment. And so I'm excited to see what it's going to do, but I also think it's happening at just the right time. Like, because I'm not burned out on good comic book movies because I don't ever get burned out on good movies. So if they're good, I'm excited about it. But mm-hmm. I do understand how people can get tired with certain kinds of genre or the perception of there's too much superhero stuff. I totally get it. So this comes at a perfect time to me to see, well, what else can it be? And is it interesting? You know, I, I think um, they had uh, Legion was a good example. Of, oh, yeah of seeing it done in a really different way that doesn't feel like the other stuff. And there's the Marvel universe and DC as well. There's such variety there. Like, let's see it, man. Let's see something that isn't just the template, you know, of the superhero film or whatever. So I'm excited. It's an exciting time. Definitely, definitely. And Legion's like the perfect example of like the weirder, the better, you know, that I hope the <laughs> yeah. vision taps into yeah. like do strange stuff that we don't expect yeah. and, uh, and surprise us. I think yeah. like you were saying earlier, like if you, you, sh- you not, you shouldn't be able to predict like, you know, the 15 minute dance party in Legion, like, <laughs> exactly. like Vision should have moments like that, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, an, a, a good example of one where, um, where I wasn't ahead of it, even though, so the boys season two, which I think is, I haven't caught up. Yeah. yeah. I I think the boys is one of the best adaptations I've ever seen because it's, it's faithful to the source material to a point, but then all the changes they made are really smart in my opinion. And season two is even better than season one. And it goes to really dark places that I think DC and Marvel mostly can't go, but Mm -hmm. that are really interesting and important for talking about superhero superhero ideas in in real life like practically right what what it would be how it would be how dangerous it would be it's fascinating but you know a lot of what happened when we were watching that show my boyfriend said to me at one point he goes I have no idea what's going to happen in this scene and it's really exciting and I thought he's exactly right like I don't know where this is going and that's thrilling you know yeah. And uh, so I'm sort of hoping that I get some of that when I turn on WandaVision, you know, like 
is it going to be a little bit thrilling to me because I'm not quite sure where it's going? Like, I, I hope so. It's exciting. Yeah. Same, same. All right, cool. I've got like two quicker questions for you kind of before sure. we wrap here. Uh, the first one is on Twitter, you teased out a project with the amazing Gurihiro related to Jeff the Landshark coming in 2021. <laughs> what can you say about what's coming for Jeff this uh, year? I think a lot of fans will be pretty excited. I can say very little. Uh, I had to, that was my idea to do that tease. Yeah. And they basically said no. And then they came, <laughs> then they came back and they were like, okay, you can do it, but you could only show like one work in progress image. You can't show what it is, you know, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, I can at least credit the art. Right. And they were like, yes. <laughs> so they were very, they were very, uh, they were very clear that I can't say much, but it will be out this year. Um, I would think it will, it will start happening by, I would think spring at the latest, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but um, it's the most fun thing I did last year though. Um, I'm still doing some of it now, but most of it I did last year. And um, Gurry Hero is, I mean, the absolute best. And honestly, it's a huge credit to them that Jeff's taken off the way he has because they have made him their little pet and they draw him into everything. Yeah. Even, like here he is on a coffee cup and here he is on Peter Parker's boxer shorts and whatever. And yeah. it's just been amazing. It's like a game of where's Waldo for Jeff the land shark and someone embracing something you created that sort of powerfully is really wonderful and amazing. And I hope Jeff will be on lunch boxes someday. That's I, that seems likely, <laughs> honestly. Like, I'm, yeah, that seems super likely. No, and and their work on like the Spidey mini, and I know there's a Thor Loki one, the Spidey Venom thing, and the, there's a Thor Loki one coming soon. Like, it's just super fun, all ages stuff. So yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully Jeff the Lion Shark taps into a similar vein, whatever that's going to be. And then the other thing, which I know, like another thing, I'm sure you can't spoil, but like you're a really good X Men writer. Like I really dug Rogan Gambit. I'm not a Rogan Gambit guy. Like that's oh, not. Wow. This has never been my thing, but I that's love that a, series. That's good praise then. Thank you. Yeah. Thank no. You. And I, I wanted to save it till the end because I gathered you are. But I, I didn't want to start off on a, on a rocky road. <laughs> I definitely I definitely am. I definitely am. And I'm a big X-Men. I mean, the X-Men are where my bread is buttered for sure. Um, so so given that, like, like, what is the likelihood of you joining, you know, the Kirk Cohen space? Like, you have so much going on right now, but like down the road, like, is that something you're you're super interested in? Because I think you'd be a fantastic fit. Um, I'm always open to it, but you know, I think they've very much got a thing they're doing over there. And I think while I'm really interested in it and I think a lot of what they've done is cool. Um, I'm very excited to see Laura coming out of that, um, vault or whatever it was she was in. I loved that issue. I mean, that Hickman issue where they were dealing with that vault is one of my favorite issues I've read in a really long time. I am super interested in the mystique of it all and her yeah. getting her wife back. I want that story tomorrow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Zebwell's Hellions is maybe the funniest comic book I've ever read. I I'm Stop hard there. pressed. I'm hard pressed to think of something I've laughed out loud at more. It also has had incredible art. Um, when I see Hellions, I'm like, oh, maybe there's a room for me in here and I could like elbow my way in. And then I'm like, oh no, Zeb's already doing it and he's doing it better than I would do it. So maybe <laughs> there's not, um, you know, I don't know. I, I'm open to it. You know, maybe they need Gambit, Gambit and Rogue to go on a solo heist mission. I'd be super into it. But, you know, they've very much got a pretty tight ship over there where they know what they're doing and they've got people 
assigned to things. So, and I don't really know if I'm in those conversations. Maybe cool, someday cool. though. Well, well, on the fan side, we'll be pushing for that Gambit and Rogue spinoff. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be super exciting. All right, cool. So like what else, what else is coming up next for you that you want to plug? Like what's coming down the road? Well, it's not super exciting, but I mean, I really just am continuing Captain Marvel. We do have an exciting announcement coming next week with the debut of a cover, which I think I can say also debuts a new costume. Um, although it's more of a temporary costume, it's not permanent, but it's really going to surprise some people. It is not what you would expect. Um, I don't think the arc coming up is what people are going to expect either. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Um, and David Lopez is drawing a single issue, uh, 27 right now. It's incredible. It's so fun. Um, and then black widow, we've got, um, issue six is almost done. Um, that's a standalone issue with guest artist Raphael de la Tour. He's incredible. He did an incredible job for us. It's a very sort of judge dread. Well, not judge dread, more like dread meets sort of John wick time, kind of a standalone issue. It's very fun. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and then we've got Elena back for issues seven through 10, which is really going to push where we're taking widow. Um, which I, I don't think it's totally outside the box, but I do think it's a little expected from what people um, think is coming. So we'll see. Um, I've got a little thing that I'm doing. What's well, actually a big thing that I'm a little part of, but I can't say anything about that yet. Out of that, we're developing something else, which might happen. And we got the Jeff thing, but that's about it. That's about it that I can really talk about right now. Okay, cool. Well, I'm ex I'm really excited to see where Black Widow's going because if you're if you're keeping up, and I recommend people do, like it's again like you've moved this story along quickly, and I'm kind of like, okay, where do we go from here? Uh, it's yeah. really interesting. Um, all I know currently is the cover for Black Widow Five is one wow. of the most incredible Adam Hughes covers I've ever seen, but it, also nauseating because it's way too realistic. <laughs> it's one of the greatest covers of his career. I'm not kidding. It's so good, yeah. and six isn't as good as that because that's a high water mark like he and i were talking about it. he's like well it's not as good as five and i'm like well what's as good as five, five i was like nothing yeah. can be as good as five but six is one of my favorites he's done for us it's really great um oh we'll also be getting a new costume we'll be debuting so that's fun um do you, yeah. do you have input in the costume design like do you do you have like hey i want it to kind of look like this or do you kind of let the artist go at it uh we definitely did it together, but you know, she wouldn't like, I, I had to let Elena know, like, you know, what we were trying to become here yeah. um, in order for her to sort of design that, um, you know, it's obviously mostly on her, but yes, I was very involved. It's hard for me to not be involved if I really care about it. And if I'm writing it, I probably care about it. So, <laughs> so it's, it's hard yeah. for me to step back. I, I think that's mostly to the benefit of my books and things. Uh, sometimes maybe not. I'm sure my editors would be like, eh, maybe more than sometimes you should step back, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a balance, right? Um, yeah, the black widow thing, it's unfortunate because, uh, four was such a horrible cliffhanger ending. Um, it's unfortunate. We, we had some delays, um, in getting the last issue out, but I hope, I think when people, I think even when the skeptics read issue five, they'll think it's clever enough. Hopefully I hope, I hope it's clever and I hope it's really emotional. 
And if we can hit those two marks, I'll feel pretty good. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Looking forward to it. Well, Kelly, thanks so much. It's been awesome talking to you. And uh, I really appreciate your time today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. It was great.